0: Well, welcome tonight to Spruce Joe Community Church. Just before coming here, I watched a little prophetic thing from Bobby Connor, who had open vision, trance-like experience, where the Lord, uh, I won't share all the details, but the nuts and bolts of it, is that the Lord was going to release two arrows into the uh, millennials that was going to establish a godly fear and reverence and zeal for the fear in the fear of the Lord that was going to cause that whole generation to explode. And uh, if there's one thing that I think uh, this generation that's alive right now needs is a glimpse of the majesty of God. So we are praying and believing that whether this is a step in a direction or a quantum leap into something we've never seen before i am looking forward to isaiah 2 coming to pass on the earth where the glory of the lord is revealed and the mountain of the lord is revealed and the majesty of god arises in the earth and breaks the back of sorcery and idolatry and so, Father, we just, as we come before you tonight, we just want to say, Lord, that we long to know your ways. We long to see the fullness of your majesty. And I pray, God, that during these days, you would prepare our hearts to, to uh, experience the grace required to enter into that presence where the fire is, where the burning of your spirit, where the consuming embers of the mountain of God are poured out. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would be glorified tonight in Jesus' name. Let's, let's worship him. Your kingdom come on earth. Your kingdom come on earth. Your kingdom come on earth. Just keep pulling on heaven. Just keep pulling on those cords. This is what faith is for. Calling those things which are not as though they are. Your kingdom come on earth. So Lord, we declare the inevitability of your reign and your rule that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow every tribe and every nation will worship you we will worship you the nations will worship you (sighs) the nations will worship you Well, I think uh, we're going to transition tonight. We want to make sure we uh, give our speaker enough time. I I believe there are sounds that God is perfecting out of His people, sounds of victory, sounds of heaven on earth that will heal the sick, raise the dead, cause the demon-possessed to be free, break uh, fear and depression off the minds of people near and far. And we are, we are increasing in our capacity to be a funnel for that sound of heaven. It's a sound of faith. It's a sound of victory. It's a sound of hope. And uh, I just say, God, increase it. In us, and in this place. Amen. All right. Well, um, I'm I'm not going to take a lot of time, but uh, I'm going to invite Mark Dupont to come. I've told you uh, about him before. I think most of you uh, are aware. He was. Uh, he lives in San Diego now. He did live in Toronto for a period of time, and a few other places. He was a key figure in the Toronto outpouring for many years, and um, we re- we connected. Actually, I'd met him before, but though he didn't remember me. Um, and uh, we reconnected in 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 Israel. After I just was really touched by the vision that he had had about the uh, the rain of fire, the balls of fire hanging over cities, and uh, just the whole thing around the fear of the Lord and that majesty of God, which I believe God is preparing us to carry into the earth, and so, um, Mark, we love you, we bless you, we trust you. So, come and release your your word, your heart. You're welcome here.
1: Thank you. Well, good morning. I always feel like good worship wakes me up to reality on a deeper level. Well, how is everybody? Are you alive? If you're dead, raise a hand, and we'll pray for you first during the ministry. No, no takers. It's always interesting when dead people raise a hand. When I was in high school, a friend of mine, a good friend of his, after high school, he got a job working in a mortuary. And they trained him to uh, dress up the people that had just died to get them ready for open casket funerals. And uh, that lets you in for all sorts of interesting things. And uh, he trained for about six uh, weeks or so with, uh, with uh, the guy who normally did it. And then the first time he did a guy on his own, the guy had only been dead, I don't know, about a half a day or so. But they got him in there, and he's putting this nice suit upon him. But as you know, when a body is dead, it begins to dehydrate, and when muscles get dehydrated, it's funny things can happen. And as he's getting this guy dressed, one of the legs kicked up by itself, and he walked out of there, and never went back to the job again. <laughs> but uh, it's good to be with you. Um, appreciate this opportunity of being with you for this weekend. Uh, never been with you before, obviously, and. Uh, Most of the churches, conferences I do, I'm on the road about 140 days a year. I've been doing this for over three decades. But most of the churches I go to, I've been with many times before. But we try to go to a certain number of places we've never been to before. And uh, my rule of the thumb is... When I'm with a church that I've never been with before, it's kind of like a first date, you know, when you first speak to them. The first date, you don't want to get serious at all. You don't even want to hold hands, you know. Just kind of want to have uh, ice cream and pizza. So I'm going to give you an ice cream and pizza. now I'm just messing with you. But uh, we won't get into anything serious. And then tomorrow night, if you're still here, we'll really mess you up a little bit. But uh, I want to talk about this weekend, about the times and seasons we're in. Because... Uh, uh, it's, it's strange. Primarily, our ministry focuses on the prophetic. I know sometimes I feel like I'm verging on the pathetic, but we try to focus on the prophetic as well as some apostolic things and evangelism, depending upon where we're at. But um, one of my pet peeves with the prophetic is over the last 25 years, there's been uh, about 8 million prophecies about revival coming and I'm fairly sure that 7,999,999 of those have not come to pass. And it just seems like if you're invo- uh, you know, aware of some of the stuff that goes out there, there's just word after word after word saying this is the time, this is the season. And then there's never any correction. There's never any coming back and saying, well, gosh, maybe we missed it. And I I think sometimes we need to give people an E for effort, but at the same time, I believe if we're really going to have the prophetic on a level that's really going to bring breakthroughs, then we need to have some credibility with it, don't we? But at the same time, I don't think we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater that God is, as Daniel said, he's the God of the times and seasons. And I believe that for many churches, the last 10 years or so, Although there have been some good breakthroughs, there have been some good things that happen, I believe we've kind of been in a kind of an autumn and a winter season, and uh, I'm so appreciative that when I got off the plane yesterday, your temperature in Fahrenheit was about 70 degrees, because the only other time I've been in Edmonton about ten years ago for a conference, I got off the plane. And they said to me, do you have a warm jacket? And I said, yeah, why? And they said, it's minus 40. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were living, we'd lived in Toronto for six years, so I got used to converting Celsius to Fahrenheit back and forward, but I'm from the States, so I think in Fahrenheit. Now, it was a real, I, I realized that I think it's uh, Fahrenheit, you know, it's usually much worse when you get below zero than Celsius. So I said to the guy, he picked him up, I said, well, is that minus 40, is it? Is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? And he said, the interesting thing about minus 40 is exactly the same in both of them. And at that time, I knew I was in trouble. So I didn't know what it was going to be like in May, but I'm glad everybody's out wearing shorts and out in their motorcycles. That's a good sign. But uh, I'm glad to be with you, and I really enjoyed your worship tonight. I liked it for three reasons. Number one, I liked it that the worship team led us into worship rather than pushed us into worship. Mark, that was a good point you made. Do not be offset by those blank looks on their faces. Try it again. (laughs) I appreciated the fact that we were led into worship, not pushed into worship. One person's excited. He's the worship leader. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been in a conference or a church where you feel like, you know, you're kind of, you know, that if you're not there 100% outwardly, people are going to pick you up and throw you in, you know? And it gets to be kind of a rah, 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 rather than being led into responding to the presence of the Lord. Secondly, I really liked your song selection. Uh, I go to so many different churches, but so many different places. I hate to say it, but the worship all sounds the same. That every song you've heard nine million times, you know. But uh, you guys, uh, I really liked your song selection. And number three, I really liked it that your uh, people doing the dance and the flags uh, they were trained in that. Sometimes when they're not trained, I call them the eye poking brigade. And, 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 you know, the, the most unpopular seat is in the front. And when I, in those churches, I always wear sunglasses, and people say, Well, how are you wearing sunglasses that, during worship? I say, It was just protection, you know. But uh, I did enjoy the worship and the presence of the Lord. So I'm going to jump into things, and uh, I'm going to be talking more about this Sunday morning. But coming out of what I perceive as being an autumn and a winter uh, on the body of Christ in the Western world for the last uh, eight or ten years, and and let me say that about being in a winter time, it's not necessarily a, a, a bad time, it's just we're not seeing a lot of new things budding and blooming, and sometimes those winters in the spiritual seasons last a lot more than three or four months, they can last years. We lived for a while after we lived in Toronto, Canada for, uh, we were there six years, and then for about five years we lived in Indiana, and the first winter there, we had this long winter season where there would be this snow, freezing, and thawing cycle that lasted about six times. So it would snow, everything would freeze and get really cold, And then everything would warm up and get back into the 50s, you know, and even 60s, everything would thaw out and the ground would become really mushy. And I'm thinking, okay, cool, it's going to be an early spring. And then the same cycle would go on. This lasted about five or six times. And I was complaining about it to a friend of mine and he said, actually, this is incredibly good for the farmers. It's going to be a great harvest this year. I said, why is that? And he explained to me that During the wintertime, when there's a a season where everything gets really cold and the ground freezes, then it thaws out and then it refreezes, that actually it releases nitrogen and certain chemicals. Y'all are nodding your head. Y'all come from farming, but you're saying, like, who is this boy from California telling us what's up with farming? But he was telling me that it's so beneficial, and sure enough, they had a great spring. And I think metaphorically we can say that when we're going spiritually and in our personal lives through a long winter season, that what can feel like demotion is God preparing us for promotion. And uh, I think we're coming into something this year and the next few years that's going to be incredible. And I'll be speaking more about this Sunday morning But there's three words I felt like last year the Lord gave me for coming into 2017 and 18, and those words are creativity, innovation, and investment. And I believe we're coming to a time where God's going to call us, and I mean this in a good sense, to spiritually be risk-takers again, to put the money on the line with what the God's saying and to not hedge our bets. There's going to be a great freedom for breakthrough. I'm glad that you're all excited, so we'll continue on. I want to talk tonight uh, and feeding into this a little bit about internal changes God does. That how many of you know that it's not the external that changes the internal, it's the internal that changes the external. And you know, we could talk quite a bit about that. But quite often, the biggest internal changes God wants to bring is number one, How we perceive God in our heart of hearts. And secondly, out of the revelation of how we perceive God, how do we perceive ourselves? And it's interesting that it says in Revelation, in one of the first churches Jesus spoke to, he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone And a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. We think about names, Fred, Sue, Bob, Lisa, whatever it may be, and we think, well, you know, that was our parents' favorite choice, you know. But in Ephesians, Paul wrote, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that A lot of times, because life can seem so random, we don't understand the sovereignty of God, how he weaves things and how he orchestrates things. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of good sermons and a lot of good stories yourselves about people that just grew up in the most horrific backgrounds. God began to use that background, to use them to bring deliverance for so many other people that came out of that And I'm not saying that God causes tragedies and God causes problems, but yet in the wisdom, the sovereignty of God, he certainly allows certain things to take place. But internally, he brings about, as we go from strength to strength and glory to glory, he brings about greater revelation of who he is as time goes on. And I think about uh, John the Baptist that, the name John for the family lineage of Zechariah and Elizabeth, his parents, nobody had ever been named John. And you know the story, how the angel appeared to him and what happened to his father. But when he was born, they said, what shall his name be called? And Zachariah, who could still be, could not speak because of messing around with the angel, he indicated his name would be John. And they said, but nobody has ever been named this before. But yet we understand on this side of things that John, which means grace, he had to have been that named as the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though he's New Testament to precede the Christ, the Messiah, the grace of cross, and so and so John or Zachariah was just so adamant, even though it was against the tradition of what they should have done in that family. I think of I was telling this story to a few people last night, having dinner that my, uh, my wife and I, we have two daughters. They're 28 and 26 years old. And our son, David, who's 22, he is in England right now, interning with the church for about a year. But uh, we were uh, based in Toronto from 92 to 98. We moved there in May of 92. And the first week there, we'd gotten there in time to lead a prophetic conference with our church, which wasn't all that big at the time. It was maybe 150 people. And it was at that conference uh, in Orangeville that during uh, during worship before one of the sessions, God gave me what turned out to be a four-page open vision of Niagara Falls coming down over the city of Toronto. And the Lord uh, was quite specific in that prophecy he gave me. He said in late 93, early 94, I'm going to pour out my spirit over Toronto. And I saw this open vision of Niagara Falls coming down of the city of Toronto, but coming from heaven. And there was a lot that went on with that. At that time, I had never seen Niagara Falls yet. But the Lord said, I'm going to do something in Toronto that's, that's never happened here before and it's going to go to the nations. And uh, uh, as time went on, the, uh, the, the leaders in our church, they took that word, had it transcribed and sent it out to a prayer list, about 2,000 people, and I preached that, uh, shared that message with several different churches in Toronto. But about late 93, early 94, nothing that smacks of revival was happening, you know. And I'm I'm kind of thinking, Lord, would you do a Mission Impossible thing where everybody has listened to the tape, just cause those tapes to dissolve, you know, it was pre-CD age, you know. But sure enough, in early 1994, the move of the Holy Spirit hit our church, and within just uh a week, our small church of about uh, now about two hundred people we 've got five hundred then eight hundred people, six nights a week. Then they started showing up from Germany and from England and from all over the globe, and uh, especially the first two to three years that moved the spirit having uh, meeting six nights a week, it was just absolutely crazy, and normally, I travel about one hundred and forty days a year, but because things were just popping all over the world. I traveled uh, six and a half, almost seven months that year. And my wife was the first wife on our leadership team there in Toronto to get pregnant since the renewal had started. And uh, we'd been so busy that year because on top of all the traveling and all the meetings we were doing in Toronto, uh, a lot of friends of mine, pastors from around the globe, were, were flying into Toronto and saying, can we stay at your house? And because I would stayed at their houses, it was hard to say no. And my poor wife, I'm gone most of the time. She's pregnant. She's having to put up with all these guests and (coughs) deal with pregnancy. And so to make a long story short, uh, when David was born, uh, we really hadn't even talked about a name. We'd had two daughters, and uh, uh, I'd always threatened my wife that if we had a baby boy, I wanted to name him Dylan, And uh, things were just so chaotic and he was born about three weeks early and I was uh, flying home on a Monday from England having doing some meetings there and I talked to my wife the day before the flight and she said well I just got back from the doctor and the doctor said the baby could come any day now I said no he can't. Because we had a big prophetic conference starting on Friday, I was in charge of. And literally, we had four to 5,000 people registered for this thing. And we were just going crazy with all the stuff going on. So I said, no, he can't come. He's got to wait just three weeks, you know. But sure enough, I got home on a Monday night. And early that morning, uh, she went into labor. And we're there. And uh, she gives birth a few hours later. And the doctor said, what, what's his name? Because we really didn't know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. We hadn't done the sonogram. And I was just about to say Dylan. And the Lord said, no, you name him David after King David. So I said, his name is David. My wife is there on the bed, looks at me kind of strange. And, but uh, so his name was David. And uh, I think he was born on a Tuesday. And our conference ended Sunday night. And I think two days after that, at the eight-day mark, in our family, we have a history of men being circumcised. So we took him into this uh, Jewish doctor in Toronto. And he's the foremost doctor at that time in Toronto, circumcising both Jewish babies and Islamic baby boys. And as he's about to do the thing, uh, he looks at us and he said, uh, with Jewish babies, normally what we do to help pacify the child He said, we dip a rag in in red wine, and we let them suck on. I said, well, I don't know about him, but I need a big drink myself, just (laughs) getting ready for that. I didn't say that, but uh, we said, yeah, that'd be okay. And um, he dips the rag in the bottle of wine, and and he looks at us kind of strange. He said, isn't his name David? And we said, yes. And he said, well, this is King David wine from Jerusalem. And over the years, and especially as our son has emerged not only being uh, very prophetic and very sensitive to the Lord, but also emerging strongly in leadership, we've just seen that the specificity of God. He was just so intentional about that name. And I think that's true for all of us. I've been in ministry doing a lot of global conferences where we bring churches that had never been together in a city together, Before I found out that uh, my name in English, Mark, means builder, but in French, DuPont means bridge, that my name, builder of bridges, really has to do with the the call of God upon our ministry. And I want to say to you tonight that God has a name for you that has to do with not just your calling and your ministry in a utilitarian sort of way, because God just doesn't want to use you, does he? But he wants to bring you into fulfillment according to the divine purposes that he's woven within you. Because, you know, as any marathon runner knows, they're not going to excel at trying to do sprints. And as most sprinters realize, they're not going to excel at running marathons. That we've got to learn to run the exact race that God created us to run. We've got to learn to paint the exact type of picture God created us to paint. And one of the things the spirit of religion does, it tries to push us into a box saying you need to be like him or you need to be like her. But so much of the internal work of the Holy Spirit is not only to bring a greater revelation of God, but to bring a greater uh, revelation of the incredible, kind, but thorough intentions for which God the Father created you and I. He created us to be a very unique reflection of him. And the good news is, if you get too unique, God has counselors and people to help you out. But that's another message. In Genesis 17, it says about Abram, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. And that name in the Hebrew, as most of you know, is the word uh, El Shaddai that we commonly translate as God Almighty. And this is the first time in the scriptures and probably the first time in God's dealing with humanity that God had ever used this name of himself. And he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Say the word multiply. multiply. I just want to see if you're awake. No. It's interesting. The very first words God ever said to humanity were be fruitful and multiply. God is seldom into slow math, He's seldom into 2 plus 2 equals 4. Most of the time, He's into 4 plus 4 equals 44. And God's heart is that we would bear fruit abundantly. And, you know, it's his heart that what he puts within us, we would reproduce. And so the promise here for Abram was, I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. You notice God did not say, I have shaped you to be a father of nations, or I have prepared you to be a father of nations, although that was true. But he said, I have made you. This was in the DNA of God's intentions for creating Abraham. But in this context, we see two name changes here. One, he's giving Abram a revelation, a greater revelation of the power of God, the sovereignty of God. Because here's Abram, he's 99 years old, and Sarah's wife is in her 90s. And we know from the next visitation they had when the Lord visited them at the tent there and said, at this time next year, the child of promise will have been born to you, that they considered it an impossibility, but yet in their hearts they still believe the word of God. But I would like to suggest to you that any time God's about to call you into doing things you've never done before, possibly we needed greater revelation of the majesty, the sovereignty, and the power of God. Let me say that again, just because you don't seem very excited. (laughs) Anytime God's about to do something to you and through you that he's never done before, quite often the key is coming into a greater, greater revelation that El Shaddai is capable of doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And I've just seen so many people be in meetings and situations where, you know, one good thing about cats is they're good at sneaking up on you. And that's true of the lion of the tribe of Judah. I was speaking at a church in Ohio about five or six years ago. And during the ministry time, I gave a word of knowledge. And it was a very specific word of knowledge that there was a woman there, about, but somewhere between 45 and 50 who'd had asthma all of her life. And when she was a child, she had asthma so bad that she couldn't run, couldn't play sports with other kids. And when she was 25, her asthma asthma actually got worse. And sometimes twice a month, she'd have to go to the emergency ward and breathe in the stuff, you know, that helped coat the lungs to deal with uh, heavy pollen allergies and all of that. And her whole life had been really affected by this asthma. And I said, the Lord wants to heal you. And I said the word, and it was a good-sized crowd there, and nobody came forward. And uh, so I said, well, maybe I missed it. Went on praying for the things, but about ten minutes later, the Lord said, go for it again. So I said it again, and again, nobody comes forward, and again, ten minutes later, the Lord said, try it one more time. And finally, this lady came up, and this is the testimony she sent into our website uh, about four months later. She said, when I first heard that word that there's a woman here between 45 and 50 that has asthma all of her life, couldn't play sports as a kid, and got worse when she was 25, she said, I thought to myself, isn't it amazing there's somebody else here just like me? (laughs) Every culture has their own idioms and expressions. If you ever go to the south of the United States, one of the sayings they have down there is, How dumb can you be and still be drawing breath? But the reality is, isn't that just like us? That we think the blessing is always going to be for somebody else. So she didn't come forward. And so then when she heard the word a second time, she thought, You know, I'll bet that word was for me, but maybe God's angry at me because I didn't go forward, so I better not go forward. Then when she heard it the third time, she thought, you know, even if God is angry at me, he's going to be really angry at me if I don't go now. So she went up, (laughs) and she sent this testimony four months later that she was so shocked that even the next day, everything was different in her lungs. And a family gathering, that the big extended family gathering that usually she couldn't go to in the summertime because a lot of people in her extended family smoked, and she would just you know, would just put her off the edge and she'd have to go to the hospital from the cigarette smoke. She said she went to that and had no problems whatsoever. And it really is true what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.9, that God has more for those who love him, more than our eyes have seen, more than our ears have heard, more than we could possibly begin to understand. And because he's the God of more, quite often it's not just a matter of us from the present place we are believing more, but getting hold of more of God. You know, it's, um, I've been thinking and meditating out of the book of Job of some things that Job said. I've been thinking about this for a couple of years now. But one of the things Job said towards the end of his writings is, Lord, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And essentially he said, I make myself small before you. In a similar vein, David said in one of his psalms, he said, Lord, I make myself like a weaned child in a mother's arms, that I don't involve myself in things too great for me. That I think sometimes where we take where we're at in God and we assume this is it and we try to work everything from the posture we're at rather than learning afresh the revelation that God's the great I am and we're the great we're not. His love for you and I is so beyond what we can understand. And sometimes the key is not just saying I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it but just saying God, here I am. And Abram, in that posture, received this revelation of El Shaddai, the one who can do for him what he cannot do for himself. But not only that, but God gave him a new name as well. And it's interesting the word Abram, it means exalted father. Now, in the culture at that time, as it is in some of the Asian cultures, It's quite a thing of honor and respect to call a a father or a person in leadership to refer to them as father or papa or something like that. And in the culture at that time, because Abram had a great retinue, you know, he had a a large following. He had many servants. He was very wealthy. Evidently, he had his own private small army, you know, because he had victory over some of his enemies. He was very wealthy. He was very exalted. So he was referred to as exalted father. But in order for him to come in to the next thing God had for him, he had to experience something in his heart where he took his eyes off of himself and began to focus on the next generation. Because the whole thing of multiplication has to be not you yourself being exalted, but what's going to come out of you. What are you going to impact? I do a teaching on this sometimes for groups of leaders and I call it that we can have either abrahamic style of leadership or we can have Abrahamic style of leadership. And Abramic style of leadership is all focused on getting people to build up their vision and their ministry. But uh, Abrahamic leadership is built on sowing into the next generation and building up those leaders around you that God gives you. And it's a different posture of the heart. And it's interesting that this word, uh, El Shaddai, it can not only be translated God Almighty or I am the Almighty One, but in the root, the word shad means breast. And in a sense, God was saying, I am the breasted one. And this must have been very difficult for Abram, being 99 years old, as a male to put into perspective, In the same way, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, how was he supposed to put that into perspective? But when we begin to understand that it's not just what can we do in God, but we are totally dependent upon him, we begin to think differently. That James said, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, And I think there's a trap we can fall into that we reach a certain level of maturity in Christ. We reach a certain level of anointing. We reach a certain level of fruitfulness. And we begin to think, okay, this is it, and I'm going to build from here. And we lose this whole perspective of smalling ourselves up before God. And saying over and over and over again, God, every good and perfect gift comes from you. You are the Father of lights. Those of you, especially you women who have had babies, you know that there is a very uh, incredible relationship between a mother and a nursing child. Now, in today's culture, in modern times, we have a formula for women that have trouble uh, breastfeeding their children, but up until recent times, that just wasn't a possibility. And most of you know that uh, between an infant... And a nursing mother, it's not just the physical proximity, but there is certain nutrition, especially a newborn infant, has to have that that child cannot get it anywhere except from a nursing mother. You cannot get that from any other form of food, even steaks, as much as I like steak. <laughs> and I would like to suggest to you that if we're going to go to the next level of fruitfulness God has for us, Perhaps there's a nutrition, spiritually speaking, intellectually speaking, emotionally speaking, that we need to learn all over again like a child to derive from God the Father, not just being of doing what we know how to do. Does that make sense? I think it was Einstein who said, It is the height of foolishness, or actually he said it's the definition of stupidity to think we're going to get different results by doing the same things we've been doing the same way we've been doing them. That's commonly called the postmodern definition of insanity, but it was Einstein that came up with that. But, you know, one of the reasons I I liked being here tonight in worship uh, was sometimes, I didn't do it tonight, but sometimes if it's the first time I'm with the church for a conference or set of meetings... The first night or first meeting, I'll sit in the back because I just like to kind of observe that it's not just a matter, does the worship band, do they do a good job, but is it a worshiping church? Because if it's a worshiping church, and if it's a praying church, then I know things are going to be easy, even during a time of difficulty. But if it's not a worshiping church, but I could tell just by how everybody was participating, you all are a worshiping church. But... When a Christian or when a group of Christians, when they give themselves over to worship and prayer, it's an outward indication of the posture in their heart that we realize, Lord, we need you to be El Shaddai. We need you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And Abram, or now Abraham, had to come into a revelation. If he was going to come into the fulfillment of what God had always promised him and go to a level of multiplication that he had not experienced yet, it had to do with his dependency upon God. And that was a heart thing. I want to tell a few more stories about healing tonight because I I, I want to tell some specific stories about healing, about uh, how God has more for us than we have uh, any idea whatsoever. One of the stories I want to tell you is about a guy. Uh, this is happening at church about in, in California uh, i don 't know about seven or eight years ago, and during the, the conference, during one of the meetings, I was, uh, got, gave a word of knowledge that I wanted to pray for people with blood conditions and we probably had about thirty, forty people come up, and some people had diabetes, some people had um, Uh, uh, immune problems a few people had uh, what's the word I'm looking for Uh, hepatitis and we prayed for them and there was a, a small group a home group that actually went to another church but they'd heard about the conference and so they canceled their home group and they all came to this conference that night now, the church they came from, they kind of believe in healing, but they don't aggressively pursue it. They're, they don't do laying on of hands and that sort of thing or minister healing in their meetings. But a member of this home group, and we'll just say his name is Fred. Uh, Fred had had hepatitis C for over eight years, and he had it very severely. And we have a, actually have a, uh, a video testimony of him being interviewed on our website And he describes the hepatitis he had as having the worst case of flu nine times over, that every day his joints just ached terribly and he could barely function. And uh, he'd been in the United States Marines, but when he got out of the Marines about 12, 15 years before this, he'd kind of got into an alternate lifestyle, fooled around with drugs and different things, and he'd come down with hepatitis C. And part of the fruit of that, the bad fruit, was his liver was barely functioning. And so he had come to the Lord, but his wife was not a Christian, and she was always uptight with him because he could never work, never make money, never do much around the house. And uh, just everything was a mess. He's in constant pain. But he said, Well, you know, I have hepatitis C, I have a blood problem, and everybody's home group said, Go up and get prayer. So he came forward and he got prayer with everybody. And he described it afterwards like he felt an internal heat, like not externally coming upon him, but within him, in his stomach, coming up out of him. And he felt very different. His energy levels were up when he got home and he felt good the next day. He was going to a clinic once a week because he was low income and because he was a former military, he qualified for some special medication. And so he was going to a clinic that was actually giving him an experimental uh, doses of Freon to try to uh, help his uh, hepatitis and his liver. And uh, he went in the next day and uh, he said to his doctor, uh, Doctor, uh, can you do a quick blood check just to check my numbers? Because I'm feeling very different. So his doctor checked his numbers and surprisingly his numbers showed no hepatitis C. And uh, he says, doctor, uh, I got prayer last night in the name of Jesus. I believe God did a miracle. And his doctor, who wasn't a Christian, said, well, you know, that would be great if that was true. But he said, really, you still have the disease. It's just with this experimental medicine you're receiving, uh, your numbers are going to fluctuate wildly. But he said, believe me, you still have hepatitis C. So he gave him uh, the dosage after that, but the problem is now the interferon and the other medicine they gave him, it has nothing to fight. And so he got very, very sick to his stomach, and he was in a lot of pain from the medicine. And it wasn't really a hospital, it was a clinic, but they had a few beds there for overnight patients, and so they said, well, you can just spend the night, so he spent the night. And uh, in the middle of the night, uh, one other bed in the room, the patient there, pushes the buzzer and a male nurse came in and again it's not a big hospital it was a rather small clinic and he knew everybody worked there a male nurse walked in that he had never seen before and goes up to the patient and the guy needed help getting out of bed to go into the little toilet area and this male nurse helps him, the guy out of bed and go into the toilet area closes his door and he points at this guy Fred and he said Fred what are you doing here the Lord Jesus healed you two nights ago and again, Fred feels like this heat internally. And so the next morning, the doctor comes in and says, Jimmy, I think we're going to give you another dose today. And uh, he said, you know, uh, Fred, he said, I, we're going to give you another dose. And he said, um, he said, doctor, I don't know what's going on. He said, but I, I can't have another dose. And against, uh, against the, all the questions and objections they had, he checked himself out and he left. Within a week, he felt so good, he was able to start applying and he got for work and he got a job. Within two weeks, he was exercising regularly. He bought a bicycle and commuted to work back and forth and he waited six months and he went back to the clinic and showed himself and he said, Doctor, do all the blood tests and they did every blood test and appropriately they could do. And they found not only did he not have hepatitis C, but his liver was in 100% perfect condition. And this was a man that he loved Jesus, had given his life to the Lord, but this understanding, you know, that El Shaddai is there to do for you what you cannot do for itself, he came into a whole nother revelation of that. It was kind of like a one-two, the prayer he received, but also whoever this, uh, and by the way, when he said to the, the, uh, the group at the desk at the clinic when he was checking out, and he said, who is this new male nurse that there was there last night? You've got a new employee. And he said, we don't have any new employees. And they described the male nurse to him. And he said, no, we don't have anyone like that who works here. In Numbers 13, 17, when Moses was sending out the 12 spies to spy out the promised land, He named them all, and it says, These are the names of the men who Moses sent up to spot the land. But Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. He changed his name. Hosea, it means the deliverer. And the later Joshua, because of his name, he thought of himself as Om the Deliverer. But Moses changed his name to Joshua which actually means the Lord delivers. And that he had to go through this change before he could step into the prophetic role, but then also the, we would call it apostolic role of leading the people. He had to come into a change that his ministry and future ministry was not about himself, but it was about the glory of God and what God was capable of. John chapter 1 One of Jesus' first meetings with the future Apostle Peter, it says in verse 41 that, uh, I think it was Andrew, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And before Peter can say anything, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And when you examine these words in the original language, Simon, what it actually means in the root word is one easily bent, one easily broken, one rather fragile. And I believe this is prophetic because it's speaking to the fact that even though outwardly Peter was this tough, buff fisherman, inwardly his heart was gripped by a fear of man. We can say that because even three years after walking with Jesus every day, he denied Jesus three times in one night, didn't he? Out of fear of man, fear of what people thought about him. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him those three times, but God saw past that that fault in him. He saw past that sin in his life, and from his very first beginning, He begins to call Simon into his destiny. And he gave him this new prophetic name, Cephas, that translates means Peter. And what Cephas means in the original language is a small rock. And what Jesus was actually doing was prophesying over Peter that even though right now your heart is gripped by a fear of man, when I'm done with you, you're going to be like me, the rock of salvation. And we know that on the day of Pentecost, it was Peter that stood up. And we know those 120 men, most likely there was a huge fear factor in that upper room. Weren't there? wasn't there because of fear of was there going to be an increase of persecution. Were they going to come after them like they had Jesus? But it was Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost in absolute boldness and preached the gospel. And thousands got saved that day and the church began. You see, there comes a freedom when we begin to realize that God knows us right where we're at the moment, but that's not really how he sees us. He deals with our present problems, but he deals with our present problems in such a way as to shape us for his incredible purposes for our lives. One of my favorite sayings about the love of God goes like this. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. And that's a saying that you either love or you hate, depending upon where you're at in the process at any given moment. But there comes a freedom, and when you realize God loves you just the way you are, but he also realizes where you're at with present weaknesses, foibles, insecurities, failings, all of that, because he knows the plans he has for you. And those plans that he began a long time ago in Christ Jesus, he's going to complete those for the glory of God, isn't he? I think of what, you know, what, uh, what God said to the prophet who went to prophesy over Saul, who was later on going to be named Paul. And you know about Saul, that he was uh, there on a mission to have Christians locked up, tortured, maybe even killed, you know, and he speaks to the prophet Ananias to go and lay hands on him so he may recover his sight. And, you know, we talk about the current level of prophetic ministry. I maintain you don't realize you're really mature as a prophet until you start arguing with God about the revelation he gives you. God spoke to Ananias to go and lay hands on him so he recover his sight. And Ananias begins to start, you know, God, I know about this guy. You don't really want to do that, you know. But it's interesting what the Lord said to Ananias. He said, go, for he is a chosen instrument mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he was, must suffer for my name. And I would like to say to you, as Jesus said to that church in the book of Revelation, for each of us, he has a name for us that nobody knows but he himself. And that name has to do with your calling, the purposes that he's written within you. It has to do with attributes and things, gifting, potentials within you that right now you might not even be aware of. I love it at prophetic conferences when people come up and ask me if I have a prophetic word for them. Because I can always say yes, even if I don't actually have a word for them. And they say, well, what's that word? And I say, this is the will of God for you, life. Romans eight twenty nine, that you become conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. And they look at me and I know what they're thinking, Well, don't you have a word about winning the lottery or, you know, becoming the next head of OPEC or something like that. But Romans eight twenty nine, it reads, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in that order he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The ultimate will of God for you and my life is not necessarily where we're at and what we're doing at any given time, although God is intentional about that. But his ultimate will is you and I becoming a living reflection of Jesus Christ conformed to him. And sometimes in order for you and I, and, and I'll just tell you in advance, I don't like using phrases like God wants to take us to the next level. Because sometimes, and it's not that that's not true, but sometimes when I hear that being preached and taught, it's kind of like ministry is just this ladder we're supposed to climb up, like in the corporate world. You see, with God, it's not necessarily about going to the next level of visibility, but it does have to go with the next level of fruitfulness. And sometimes, as I said earlier, God's journey that he takes you on it may involve demotion or what seems like demotion. We can talk to people like David or, or Joseph and others about that. And so when we talk about going to the next level, it's not necessarily the next level in the eyes of man, but it's the next level of knowing the height, the width, the breadth, the grace of the love of God. And it's not only a corporate thing, or it's not only a personal thing, but I think it's a corporate thing for you all as a church as well. Proverbs 23, 7, that as a person thinks, so they are. That internally, it doesn't matter how much good theology we have on something like the Father heart of God, but if in our heart of heart, if we still think of ourselves as an orphan, that we're outside looking in, we're always going to lean towards grasping, controlling, and trying to take rather than realizing it's better to give than it is to receive, isn't it? That if in our hearts, if we're thinking that somehow God is withholding his best from you, that he wants to give it to somebody else, then we're always going to be coming up short in our faith levels, aren't we? But if we begin to understand that as Jesus said, fear not, little flock, the Father longs to give you the kingdom, we begin to realize, you know, it's in here As Jesus said, the good man or the good woman speaks of the treasure within him. Before we go into ministry, I want to close with this story. It's a true life story, and some of the details in you may have been fictionalized a little bit. But it's based on the true life story of, in the 1970s, a football player who played for three years for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they actually made a a movie about this guy about five, six years ago called The Invincible. And this is the story of Vince Papelli. Vince Papelli uh, kind of came from the uh, very blue-collar, working-class, low-income part of uh, Philadelphia. And he had two jobs. He was a part-time bartender and a part-time teacher. And he got laid off from his teaching job. He was 28, 29 years old. And his marriage had been rocky for a while. And when he got laid off from being a teacher, he showed up uh, back at his house one afternoon. And his wife had cleared out most of the furniture and left a note for him and said, said, Vince, I'm leaving you. And she left a note that said, Vince, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to make a name for yourself. You're never going to make any money. I'm done with you. And what happened was, although Vince Papelli, although he had never, he'd only played one year of football in high school, and, in, and that was only like his junior year, he hadn't played his senior year, and he hadn't played in college or anything, he was a natural athlete, and he was exceedingly good at football. He played a lot of neighborhood pickup football games in kind of a, an urban league. And the Philadelphia Eagles had come up like three years in a row, the very worst team in their league. And their fans were all angry at them, ticket sales were down. So going into new season, they did something, they kind of did it as a publicity stunt, but uh, they had open tryouts that anybody who ever wanted to be a professional football player for for the Philadelphia Eagles to show up on a Saturday... And it was an absolute zoo. You had people that should even be putting on a pair of cleats, you know, showing up there and going through the motions. And it was a total joke. But there was one person they noticed that really stood out. And it was this guy, Vince Papelli. And so they gave him a contract not to play but just to go to the spring and summer or the summer training and almost everybody, including all most of the coaches, and including all the people on the team, perceived it as a joke, because the, none of the football players liked him. He's, was, he was at an age of 28, 29 years old, where most professional football players have already retired, or are thinking about retiring, and they called him the old man. But they thought it was just a publicity joke having him there, the team was doing, to bo- booster uh, ticket sales. But, uh, Vince Papelli, he stuck with it, and amazingly, he survived all the cuts, and he made the special teams. But he kept this note throughout this whole time, and oftentimes he had it in his locker as he changed, and he'd look at this note that, in effect, had a curse over his life. Vince, you are never going to make a name for yourself, you are never going to mount anything, and you will never make any money. And he would just look at it repeatedly, and that became a curse that went into his soul because as a man thinks, so he is. And as we think in our heart of hearts, so it affects everything we do. And he actually, as I said, amazingly, he made the team, but nobody on the team except for maybe one or two other players really liked him. They disliked him actually rather intensely. And in the first game they played against the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, if you've ever followed football in the 70s and 80s, they were the greatest team of all time back then. And uh, Vince Papel, uh, Papelli failed miserably in the special teams and playing against them. There was even talk that they were gonna fire him after that. But there's a scene in the movie in a second game, and it was the first hometown game. And they were playing their arch rivals, uh, the, the New York. And there's a scene where morale was just so low in the team, but the coach comes out and did a pep talk before they all went out in the field. And they were so unpopular that when they ran on on field uh, in their hometown, they got booed by their own fans. But there's a scene in it that right before they go out in field, for about the hundredth time, Vince Papelli goes to his locker and pulls out that piece of paper his wife had left him. Vince... You're never going to make a name for yourself. You'll never amount to anything. You're never going to make any money. And he looks at it, and he took it, and he tore it in shreds, and he threw it on the floor. And to make a long story short, Vince Papelli actually won the game. It was one of the first wins they had had in a long, long time. And playing New York, going into the last minute or two of the game, they were tied 7-7. And the Philadelphia Eagles, near their own end zone, had to kick the ball out, you know, on the fourth down to get out of their territory. But what happened, Vince Papelli, on that special team, he called an audible. And everyone was saying, what are you doing, you know? But he called an audible change, and he had the, the punter kick it up high. And he was so fast, he was just incredibly fast, he got down past everybody, and he hit the receiver, opposite time, uh team, so hard he knocked the ball out of his hands, he picked it up, and he ran 40 yards for a touchdown. And in effect, won the game. Vince Papelli ended up that season being named a captain of the team, and he played for three seasons, and he is regarded still today among Philadelphia fans as a hero in Philadelphia. But here's a man that, 28, 29 years old, the only job he has is working part-time as a bartender, and even though he'd gone to a four-year school, got his teaching credential, can't find a teaching job anywhere, his wife has walked out on him, just dealing with low income and a hopelessness of the future. He goes for a long shot, and then he tears up the curses over his life. And I tell you this story, I'm not even a football fan. You know, Mark was asking me yesterday, what sports do you like to watch? I I get bored watching most team sports unless they're playoffs. Um, But, you know, it's such a powerful illustration that we dare not allow our past history to determine our future vision. We dare not allow our past history, especially your past disappointments, and your past frustrations. For two simple biblical promises, as one I've already mentioned, 1 Corinthians 2.9, God has more for those who love him, more than our eyes have seen, more than our ears have heard, more than we can possibly understand. But secondly, Ephesians 3.20 and 29, that says, give glory to the one who can do far more then you can think or ask according to his power that works through us. And how many of you know that power that works through us? It's the dunamis, the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. It's funny that that's where we get the word dynamite from because in the natural, dynamite blows things apart. But God's dynamite blows things back together. Broken bodies together, broken souls together, even broken marriages together. The last story of a healing I want to tell you about is um, one of the most remarkable uh, things I've ever seen happen with the prophetic word. Uh, we lived for about uh, 10 years in Dayton, Ohio before moving back to San Diego, where my wife and I are from originally. And there was a couple in our church, uh, their names are uh, Pat and Rebecca. And they've shared this testimony in conferences with me. They've given me freedom to use it as much as I want. Uh, They're quite excited about their testimony. But uh, I didn't know them very well. I'd prayed with them once years before. But going back about six or seven years now, uh, one of the pastors in my church told me about this couple, Pat and Rebecca, that they were going through divorce. And uh, between uh, two services, we had multiple services in the weekend, I was in the foyer having, uh, getting a cup of coffee. And by the way, you've, you've got things the reverse of what they should be here. You should have concrete back there so you can drink coffee in church. So if you spill it, it's not a problem. And carpet up here from a place people can do face plants and things like that. You see, you're not really going to come into revival till you catch the revelation that you can't have revival without good coffee. It's just, it, It's written in the book of Mark anyway. But anyway, this mark, anyway. But anyway, I was, uh, I was at the coffee bar between services, and there's Pat. And I didn't know him well, but I walked up and said, hey, how you doing? I said, I understand you and your wife are getting a divorce. And he said, yeah. Uh, she found out that I was doing some things that I definitely should not have been doing, and it pushed some buttons from her, some issues in her childhood. And he said, that's it. And he said, well, is she open to counseling? And he said, no, she's not. It's just she definitely wants a divorce. So they got a divorce, and she started going to another church. But after six months, she realized she didn't like that church, and she came back to our church. But we had three services in the weekend, so she just went to a different church than her ex-husband. But they made a mistake. They both showed up on the same Monday night prayer meeting. We went through a couple of months where we had prayer six nights a week. And uh, she had actually uh, not been intending to go to prayer meeting. She pulled her car out of work, and the Lord spoke to her very surprisingly. He said, go to the prayer meeting. So she turns the car around, goes in the direction, comes to the prayer meeting, gets there about a half hour late. Now, I told you coffee was important. We're about a half hour, 45 minutes into this prayer meeting. I'm out in the foyer getting a cup of coffee. And uh, there's about 60, 70 people there at the prayer meeting. And I didn't know her well. I knew her enough to say hi, and she said hi, and she walks in. And her ex-husband, Pat, uh, most people are sitting in the front, but a few people are kneeling around the altar in the front. Uh, she sees him as she walks in the, the sanctuary, kneeling down front. She's angry because he's there. Now, what I didn't know till later on was that they had actually, the two of them had met that, uh, that uh, afternoon in a restaurant, because some of the uh, common property that had not been handled by divorce, they met, uh, divvied up in this restaurant, and they thought if they met in a restaurant, they would not end up yelling at each other, but didn't help. She stormed out of the restaurant yelling at him in the top of her lungs, if I ever see you again, it's too soon. How many of you know that God loves a good challenge like that? He just loves it. Too soon ended up being about five hours later at this <laughs> prayer meeting. So she walks in, and she sees him there. She's so angry she wanted to leave, but the Lord had told her to go to the prayer meeting, so she couldn't leave. So she sat in the very back. Now, that sanctuary could hold about 1,000 people, and if you've got 60, 70 people up here and one person back there, they're like a mile and a half back there, and she's sitting here like this, you know. And so I have my coffee. I walked in. I said, oh, that's interesting. At least she's here. But by the time I got to the front, the Lord began to speak to me. The other thing I didn't know about Pat and Rebecca was Pat was a former military policeman. If I'd known that, I never would have done what I did. But I put down my coffee, I walked up, and I grabbed him by the wrist where he's kneeling. I said, come with me, and I dragged him all the way the back. I said, sit down next to your ex-wife. Reluctantly, he sits down. Well, you've all heard the phrase, if looks could kill. If looks could kill, he would have been dead first, and I shortly afterwards. She's angry. But now the Lord's really beginning to speak to me. And I said, this is what the Lord says to you, join your hands together. And very reluctantly, they join their hands. And then I said, the two of you have bought into a lie from the pits of hell that you have believed that what's impossible for you is also impossible for God. And I said, I break that lie in the name of Jesus and I call you back to your first friendship and romance in the name of Jesus. They looked at one another and they started weeping and they spent the next half hour of the prayer meeting uh, weeping and hugging each other and they went through nine months of counseling. Uh, Rebecca got counseling, working on some of her childhood issues that had been triggered when Pat got into his stuff. Pat worked on his issues and I don't know whether at this point you would call it pre-marriage counseling or post-marriage counseling but they went through counseling as a couple And nine months later, I remarried them in Pat's backyard. And uh, I'm not a big one for a wedding. The the reality is that for any married couple, I would say to you wives, it's the ultimate test that your husband loves you that will go with you to weddings. I manifest at weddings. I start looking at the time like crazy. You know, gosh, when are we going to get out of here? But anyway, it, it was such a cool wedding because a week before the wedding ceremony, I sat down with Pat and Rebecca and said, okay, how many, um, how many bridesmaids, how many groomsmen, how are we doing this? And Rebecca said, we want to do something a little bit different. And, um, and actually, if you consider this Pat and Rebecca's second marriage, it was Rebecca's third marriage when she had first married Pat eight years before She had two daughters who were eight and ten years old. And she said, Mark, in the eight years Pat and I were first married, my two daughters never liked Pat. They would never honor him. They would never obey him. They refused to call him dad. But in the last nine months, since God has knit our hearts back together, my two daughters have fallen in love with Pat as their dad. And they're now calling him dad. And our two daughters have asked if they can stand on either side of us in the wedding ceremony because they want to testify to everybody there how God has healed our family. And that's what we did. And, you know, Pat and Rebecca, they did not have any thought whatsoever now in their individual state of reconciliation to the point of being remarried. And I can tell you because after that, uh, my wife and I began to mentor Pat and Rebecca, and even though we live 2,000 miles away now in San Diego we're still kind of mentoring them long distance their marriage is so good it's actually embarrassing to be with them you know you're like, you'll like be with them at a restaurant or at their house and you know all of a sudden Pat gets his goofy look in his eyes he'll look at Rebecca and say oh Rebecca you're just so wonderful and she goes oh Pat I love you and you're just thinking just put a lid on it would you my word you know And I especially don't want my wife to see him talking like that, you know. But anyway, but in the five years or six years they've been back together, they've done extensive ministry in the inner city uh, part of Dayton, working with young kids coming out of crime and problems, leading them to Christ, discipling them in the Lord. And God also uses them in healing, uses them prophetically. It's just amazing what God has done. But... You know, uh, Mark mentioned a, a passion of mine that I believe the contemporary church really needs a fresh revelation of the majesty of Christ. But part of the, <coughs> the majesty of Christ is we need a fresh revelation that the things that are impossible for us are never difficult for God. And isn't that what the angel of the Lord said to Sarah about a year later or so when he visited them at the tent? And when he said, at this time next year, the child will promise will have been born to you. And Sarah started laughing. He said, why do you laugh? And she said to herself, at our age, is this possible? And the angel of the Lord said, what's difficult for man shall never be difficult for God. And you know what? Approximately some 2,000 years later, when the angel Gabriel visited the young woman Mary... And he said, the Christ, the Messiah, is going to be born to you. And she said, how can this happen? I'm not married. And he said, it's no problem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. And then Gabriel said the same thing the angel of the Lord had said to Sarah 2,000 years before. What's impossible for man shall never be impossible for God. And her response at that moment of revelation is absolutely brilliant. It's one of the greatest responses you will find to prophecy anywhere in the Bible. She said, let it be done according to your word. Let it be done according to your word. And the word I have for you tonight is God has amazing plans for you as a church, as individuals, as families. He has more for you than your eyes have seen, more for you than you can even begin to think about. And we're called to give glory to the one who can do far more than we can think or ask. And it's not about what you and I can do and achieve, even in the anointing, even in the gifting God has given us. What God wants to do is beyond what you can achieve, even in the gifting. And I would like to suggest to you that, One of the secrets, one of the keys God has for us for coming into this season of learning to reinvest and for fresh creativity and uh, fresh, uh, uh, you know, just breakthroughs is learning to small ourselves up before the Lord and realizing our dependence upon him. And I'm all for, yes, let's take the anointing, take the vision, take the opportunities God gives us and let's run with it. Even as David went running after Goliath, you know. But what I'm saying is if we're going to see more than we've experienced, ever experienced before, we need a revelation that God is the great I am and we're the great we're not. One person's excited, so I'm just going to focus over here. And you people are on your own over there. I'm messing with you. Can I have uh, either the uh, keyboardist, I've forgotten your name, uh, worship leader or guitarist come on up and Let's just uh, strum before the Lord, and let's just see what the Lord wants. Are you still alive? Yeah. Yeah. You've got that deep sea fish look to you. You know what I'm talking about? When fishermen go fishing for deep sea fish, because they're down and the pressure is very different there, when they bring them up quickly, their eyes are bulging. You've got that look about you now. <laughs> now, just messing with you. Let's stand. This would be a great time to turn to the person next to you and say to them, uh, excuse me. Now say to them, normally when I'm experiencing a download from God, I need more room than you're giving me right now. (laughs) Let's just spread out a little bit. Make yourself comfortable in the presence of the Lord. Would you just hold your hands and your heart out to the Lord and close your eyes? And would you pray out loud after me? Father God, you are El Shaddai. You are the one who will do for me what I cannot do for myself. And Lord, I thank you that you exalt your name and your word above everything else. And your word tells me you have more for me than my eyes have seen, more than my ears have heard, more than I could possibly understand simply because I love you. I give glory to you tonight to the one who can do far more, far more 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 than I can think or ask ask, according to your Holy Spirit's power to power, to to me and through me. Just close your eyes and hold your hands out to the Lord. and Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that for all of us, myself included, I ask that right now Would you baptize us fresh in the gift of faith? Not faith in what we can do, but faith that you are El Shaddai. You are God Almighty, and you are the one who can do far more than we can think or ask. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I speak an impartation to you right now in the name of Jesus of the gift of faith for you as a church. And I just say to you, the winter storms are over, and I bless you to have new things blooming and budding in your lives, your ministries, your relationships, in your jobs, in your careers. I bless the potentials within you that you're not even aware of as of this point yet, I bless those gifts and potentials. I bless you to come into a springtime now in the name of Jesus. I bless you to come into a springtime now in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Just as things are heating up now in the natural this weekend here in Edmonton, I bless things to heat up in the Spirit within your souls, within your spirits. Come, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. I speak an impartation to you in the name of Jesus. Healing to you. Healing to you. Healing to you in the gift of faith. I proclaim over over you, over Spruce Grove Community Church, that your past does not determine your future. Your past disappointments, your past frustrations, your past failures do not determine your future vision. Your future vision is determined by a good, good God who can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. There's some of you here that you've got a reoccurring tape that plays over and over and over and over again in your soul. And that tape has like the worst five or ten mistakes you've made in your life. Maybe at one point you made some serious mistakes that messed up a marriage. Or maybe you made some serious mistakes in a job. Maybe you made some mistakes that put you in jail. Maybe you failed in ministry or serving God. Maybe you let your children down or maybe you let your parents down. Maybe you were an addict of some sort. Maybe you made a stupid decision and you dropped out of school or you quit something (coughs) that in hindsight you should have stuck with. But the devil has made a tape out of those mistakes and he's woven that tape so much into your thought life that he doesn't even need to bring it up now. It just comes up every time you think about breakthrough, every time you hear a teaching or a preaching, or every time you hear a testimony about breakthrough, that tape begins to play. That demon of past mistakes begins to rear its ugly head, and the thought comes in, Don't get too excited because the breakthrough is for everybody else. It's not for you. I break that lie in the name of Jesus. I break that lie that the breakthrough is for everybody else but you. And I want to tell you that we all make mistakes. But if we're honest with God and we repent and we allow God to bring restoration to our lives... Our sins are separated as far as from the east is from the west. There is no tape of your past mistakes in heaven. That tape, that CD is forbidden in heaven. It is absolutely forbidden. If you've repented of mistakes and you've worked past that, You are free in Christ Jesus. You are free to pursue the identity, the calling, the purposes, the race, and the painting God created you to paint. I proclaim over you David's words in Psalm 139 that even when you were in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully was the hand of God upon you. He created you to be a very unique reflection of Him. And I want to tell you, there's things God created you to do that He didn't create anybody else to do. His hand is upon you. So let's just take a few more moments before we pray for some other things. But if you're one of those people that every time you think about future vision, that every time you get a little bit excited about the future, those tapes from the past begin to resurface in your soul. I want you to do something symbolic. Just hold out in your hands that list of mistakes you've made that seems like that determines your future. And just like Vince Papelli tore that piece of paper up Hold that paper symbolically out in your hands, as it were, and just tear it up right now. Just hold it up and tear it up. Don't be embarrassed about whether other people are are watching or not. If you've got mistakes that you need to be free of in your soul, you see, the Apostle Paul said, there is no now, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That if we have a repentant heart, Our sins are separate as far as from the east is from the west. Now just allow the Holy Spirit to come over you right now. Some of you may have had a difficult time a few months ago when I prayed for an impartation of the gift of faith. But after tearing up those notes, let's just do it one more time. Father, I want to pray specifically in the name of Jesus for every person here that in their soul... They're constantly reminded of their past mistakes. And I ask in Jesus' name, would you release the gift of faith to them now that they could know that they know that they know in their heart of hearts you have good plans for them, plans to give them a hope and a future, plans to prosper their souls. I proclaim over you as a church Third John, verse 2. May you prosper in all things. Say all things. May you prosper in all things, including your health, even as your soul prospers. You see, it all starts with your soul. If there's not the peace of God in your soul, if there's not the joy of the Father's love in your soul... It poisons every opportunity. It can even poison your physical health. So I proclaim over you may you prosper in all things, including your soul, by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. We're just going to pray for a few people uh, tonight before we close. Uh, This gentleman here, what is your name, sir? Eric? Eric? Uh, This is something the Lord uh, said to me over uh, during worship. He pointed you out to me. And uh, he said that you're kind of in a Gideon season right now, that even as Gideon was kind of doing things on the side, trying to beat out the wheat and the wine press to try to save it from the enemy that was coming and stealing it, that I felt like the Lord said, you've been in a season where you feel like you're having to protect everything you've got. You're having to work hard for it. But the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and called him a mighty warrior. And as you know, the story was Gideon after that was released into a whole thing of leadership that he didn't have an idea of. And I felt like the Lord said that you're going from a place where things have been a little bit of obscurity and he's bringing you to a new level of freedom. And God's actually preparing you for a level of leadership that you haven't realized. And I don't know whether this is leadership in the secular arena, maybe in the job area or whatever you do, or maybe it's in ministry or it could be both. But I feel like the Lord wants to encourage you. You're no longer going to have to beat out the wheat in the wine press, doing things secretly to try to protect the enemy from coming and stealing it. That you're coming to a place, even as David said, The Lord has brought me into a broad place. The Lord's bringing you to a broad place. And there's leadership ability within you. And again, I don't know the arena for this, but he's going to be raising you up and you're going to be leading people into a new level of freedom. Does that make sense to you? Father, I thank you for this man, Eric, Lord God. And I thank you that you have more for him as well, more than his eyes have seen, more than his ears have heard, more than he can understand. And I ask that you would bring him into a Gideon season. Would you raise him up, Lord, so he would no longer have to beat out the wheat secretly in the wine press, Lord. And I bless you, Eric, to prosper in the gifts and talents and opportunities God is going to be bringing to you. And I bless you to be a man of influence for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's... uh, is there anybody here that it could be um, uh, could be problems with your... Inte- By the way, you can sit down. You don't need to stand. Um, uh, shirt should be comfortable part of the time anyway. Uh, is there anybody here that you've got ongoing problems with your stomach, particularly the intestines or uh, kidney stones, uh, things like that? Or maybe you've just got... Um, uh, acid run uh, reflex, IBS, things like that. Is there anybody here that has that sort of problems? Okay If you've got those sort of problems, digestive tract problems and uh, and, and not only problems with the um, intestines, but possibly you suffer from diverticulitis or from Crohn's disease with the colon. If you've got colon problems, intestinal problems or uh, IBS or severe food allergies or, things like that. Would you come to the front right now? Just stand in a row up here, if you would, so we can get to all of you. And uh, I know you have a ministry team here. If the ministry team wants to help out praying for people, that'd be great. But those of you that are here for healing, just hold your hands out to the Lord And let me encourage you in two things. You don't need to worry if you have enough faith. Jesus never said you need a mountain of faith to move a mustard seed. He said if you've got just a little bit of faith, that's enough to move a mountain of a problem. And uh, the fact that you're here in church tonight, the fact that you've responded to this means that you have more than a mustard seed of faith. So you have enough faith. Secondly, healing is a gift And so I don't want you to be here striving to try to receive this gift, but just just imagine yourself like a a young child on Christmas morning, and you know your Father, your Heavenly Father is a big, beautiful gift for you. Just be in a receiving posture. And by the way, if one of the people who came up here is a close friend of yours, you're a Christian or a family member, feel free to come stand behind them. Put a hand of blessing on their shoulder or something. Just feel free for that. For those of you that need healing, just hold your hands out to the Lord. Father, I thank you for every one of these men and women. And I thank you, Father. Now just close your eyes, those of you that need healing. I thank you, Father, that healing is the children's bread. And I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Would you just close your eyes, focus on the Lord. Don't be distracted. No, I don't want you to put your hand on your wife. I just want you to receive. Don't worry about her. She's fine by herself. She's with Jesus now. Just be in a receiving posture. Come, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I speak to all these stomachs right now, and I speak to the intestines, and I speak to the colons now, and I speak to the stomach and the stomach lining in the name of Jesus, and I speak a release of divine healing now in the name of Jesus. I take authority over the curse of IBS, and I bless your body and your digestive tract to receive all sorts of foods perfectly, even spicy foods in the name of Jesus. Right there, just be healed in the name of Jesus. Be 100% healed right there. In the name of Jesus. Healing right there. In the name of Jesus. God's miracle power on you right there. Healing to you right there. Healing to you right there. In the name of Jesus. Healing to you. Healing to you. Fire of God on you right there. In the name of Jesus. Healing to you right there. Fire of the Lord on you right there. There it is. Healing to you. Healing to you right there in the name of Jesus. And I I took authority over any generational curses coming down the bloodline from mother to daughter of digestion problems. And I break those curses off in the name of Jesus. And I say, you have a new inheritance of health from God the Father. So I break off the bad inheritances and I speak healing now in the name of Jesus. Healing to you right there. I Bless your stomach and your whole digestive tract to be filled in the name of Jesus with the miracle power of the Holy Spirit, divine restoration. Just keep receiving for a moment. Don't be in a hurry. We had a a guy last year in a church uh, near London, England that was born with severe allergies to both chicken and fish. He could not be in a restaurant that served either chicken or fish. His wife could never cook it because the smell of chicken or fish being cooked would just put him... Uh, he'd have, a, what's the word, anaphylactic uh, shock and have to go to the hospital. He had to be very, very careful where he ate at and what foods he was around. He came forward to an invitation like this. We prayed for food allergies in one of the meetings. And uh, he felt God do something so significant... The next day for lunch, he went to McDonald's and had a chicken McNugget sandwich, which uh, that would make even a healthy person sick, in my, in my thinking. And then he called his wife up, and he said, I want you to get some fish, and uh, both fish and chicken, and cook it tonight. She said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. So she cooked both some chicken and fish that night. And uh, that was about a year ago. He was 100% completely healed. He's never had any problems since then. So, Lord, we bless your touch here. We bless what you're doing. And I take authority over any Crohn's disease, any diverticularitis warring against the colons, and I bless the colons to be healthy now, to be completely healthy in the name of Jesus. Complete health to you right there. Fire of the Lord on you right there in the name of Jesus. Well, this is our first night. We've got tomorrow night and Sunday, and I I don't want to keep you guys forever. Uh, We're going to be doing a lot more ministry uh, tomorrow night. I just wanted to use tonight kind of like a you can get to know me a little bit, and I'm glad you're all going to be bringing ten friends tomorrow. So uh, I'll turn things back over to Mark. All
0: right. Amen. Yeah, there is... um... A, uh, a table in, at the back that has some materials some good books that uh mark has written and uh anyway it uh good good start tonight amen no oh, there's a, a great uh presence of the lord and uh i uh, really appreciate the anointing that's on uh, mark Dupont's life um, uh it's uh, it's a really great grace in the room And uh, I want you to just believe that that will continue to minister uh, to you tonight. Amen? Hallelujah.